so Micah chapter 3, we're in Micah. Uh, Micah chapter 3, I didn't write down a page number, it's 900 and something, I'm pretty sure. Uh, in there amongst the nine minor prophets, was it 940-ish last time? I can't remember. Uh, so Micah chapter 3, I'll give you a moment to find it, I'll just tell you the nation of Israel at this point, as Micah speaks, the nation of Israel is split in two, they're drifting from God, they're hurting one another, and uh, no one's doing that more so than the nation's leaders. Uh, Micah is heartbroken and he's furious about this, uh, and he's here to call them out, uh, to call out these leaders. Um, so we're going to read Micah chapter 3 uh, and then uh, chapter 4 as far as verse 7. So here's Micah chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Then I said, listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, should you not know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. Uh, this is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, if one feeds them, they proclaim peace. If he does not, they prepare to wage war against him. Therefore, Night will come over you without visions and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners, diviners, uh, disgraced. They will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Hear this, you leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, <coughs> and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet, they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. 
Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the names of their gods. We will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles, and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame a remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. Well, this is God's word, and and as ever, you will make the most of the next uh, 20 minutes or so if you uh, have it open in front of you and can see it. Um, We're in Micah chapter 3 and 4 today, uh, and we're going to talk about power. Power, uh, or uh, par. (laughs) Par, we're going to talk about power. Um, So I'm going to be self-conscious about how I say that all morning. I don't mean uh, power like strength, uh, like, you know, the world's most powerful machines or uh, nature's most powerful forces. I don't mean electricity, like we have a power cut. Uh, Wouldn't that be stressful on a Sunday morning? Um, Anyway, I, I mean human power, influence, the ability to enact our will, to get done what we want to get done, Uh, to make happen what we want to happen. Uh, We can all think of powerful people. They might be tremendously wealthy, you know, the the money-no-object sorts. Or they might hold high office, um, perhaps inheriting or being elected to a position of power, like like a dictator or a president or a CEO. And by virtue of their authority or their wealth, these people can get done what they want to get done. Uh, They can make happen what they want to happen. They have that kind of power. Uh, In the middle of the week, I watched a clip of a a basketball coach, uh, I presume in Texas, uh, refusing at his press conference to uh, talk about basketball, um, instead calling on 50 senators in the U.S. government to stop clinging to power and instead use their power to create a safer society. And if you catch the news, you'll know what I'm talking about, of course. And it was so clear from his words and from his emotions and his distress that he felt powerless to change things uh, there. Uh, But leaving that aside, the truth is that we all have power uh, to some extent. We all have some influence and some way to get some of what we want to happen. Uh, We may have uh, some influence in a workplace. Yes, we take instruction from others, but perhaps there are a few folks to whom we can give instruction. Uh, You know, we might be teachers or middle managers or business people or uh, pastors even. We all have some sort of influence, some sort of power, no matter uh, who we are. We may have influence in a family. Parents have the power of instruction and discipline over their children. Grandparents have the power to just undermine uh, that that discipline, saying things like, Ah, pet, would you come here to me? And, uh, oh, would you go easy on that poor child? I could tell some stories about you when you were that age. That sort of thing. Grandparents have that power. Even children have power in families. The toddler whose temper tantrums must be avoided at all costs. Or uh, the, the, the sweet little dote who just has mum and dad wrapped around her little finger. Uh, we all have some sort of power in some relationship or other. Even in churches, there are different dynamics of power, aren't there? Power can be held through roles and offices in the church, or it can reside with you know, strong characters, or people who've been around for a long time, or people who speak up first or hold on to a view for the longest. 
Um, that sort of thing has been a reality in churches, you know, way since the, the factions in the Corinthian church. And I follow uh, Peter, and I follow, I follow Jesus. I'm the best. Uh, those, those guys in, in uh, Corinthians chapter 1, I'm sure no church has really escaped those kind of dynamics. Uh, it's not for nothing that Paul writes and says, maintain, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Um, and the thing is that when I mentioned power and powerful people, we probably all thought about the, the dictators and the presidents and, the, and the, the Jeff Bezoses and the Elon Musks and people who can make stuff happen. But the fact is we all have some power, and that's really important to, to, to grasp for this morning. We all have some influence, some ability to get some of what we want. And today, Micah cries out against the wicked use of power by the leaders of God's people. He's going to really let rip. Uh, and in fact, uh, chapter 3, verse 8, uh, Micah says that he himself is feeling powerful. He's filled with the Spirit of the Lord to call out Israel's leaders to expose their abuse of power and to point to something better. So let's get into it. Uh, and we see first <clears throat> that sin corrupts our use of power. Sin corrupts our use of power. This is what Micah wants to talk about first. He sets his sights on, on two groups of people, powerful people in the nation, the leaders and the prophets. And first he lays into the leaders. Chapter, one, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 3 are very graphic, aren't they? We're not going to read them again. Uh, verses 2 and 3 are so violent, uh, describing, I think by metaphor, what the leaders are doing to the people. This is not literal. It's not a description of what's really quite happening on the ground. It's a, a picture of the devastating and destructive effects of their leadership. So I think it's a metaphor, but it's not a random metaphor because apparently the Assyrians, the enemies of, of God's people at this time, were known for flaying people alive. So in other words, the leaders of Israel are like the enemies of their own people. Uh, they can weep and wail all they want about these terrible Assyrians who are going to come from outside and invade and capture towns and, and wash up to the, the walls of Jerusalem like a great wave but these corrupt leaders on the inside are doing just as much damage. And the point is, verse 1, Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, should you not know justice? That's the point, isn't it? It gets into the metaphor after that. But should you not know justice? This is what's happening on the ground. They're deeply unjust. Uh, so Micah expands from verse 9. If you go down to there, Hear this, you leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right. So it's not just that justice and goodness are difficult, you know, just difficult to achieve and maintain. We all know that. They are difficult. These people despise them. It's like whole police departments are corrupt and all the officers are dangerous. Uh, verse 11, the judges are on the payroll. They're golfing at the weekends with those untouchable crime bosses. Verse 11, the bishops are in there as well with their hands in the same pot, uh, hanging around the clubhouse afterwards. Uh, verse 10, what well, it seems like progress is being made and the city is growing and taxes are coming in and the rich are getting richer and the stock market's rising, but it's all built on bloodshed. Progress by exploitation, development founded on despair. And then at the same time, verse 11, they're confident. It says, yet they lean upon the Lord and say, 
Is not the Lord among us? In other words, of course he is. The Lord's among us. No disaster will come upon us. One nation under God. God bless this nation. God bless us one and all and keep us and make his face to shine upon us. Uh, Amen. We are his people. (laughs) Uh, But there will be a consequence. Micah brings dire warnings, uh, and at least one of the kings that he uh, speaks to will heed those warnings. So Hezekiah did bring some short-lived reforms, but the moral and spiritual trend in God's people is down, down, down. Uh, There's a few little humps in the way, but down. Uh, So two things are going to happen as a result, and both of these show that God's people, who were supposed to be a beacon of God's loving rule to the wider world, um, uh, are in fact no different, no better than anyone else. They're, they're right down in the moral and spiritual pit. Um, so consequence number one, verse four, then they, and I think it's the leaders still, they'll cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. You see, there's coming a time, and, and we know what it's like, don't we? You know what it's like to be kind of prayerless for a season and then emergency comes and suddenly uh, it's like a spark reignites uh, the old prayer life Uh, and there's a coming a time when Israel's leaders are going to see Babylon wash in after Assyria but unlike Assyria Babylon's not going to turn back from Jerusalem and just be happy to kind of rule and tax the people of God Uh, Babylon's going to wash right over them he's going to wash them away Uh, and they're going to be crying out to God and there's going to be no answer in verse 12, therefore, because of you, Zion, which is like Jerusalem, will be plowed like a field. Jeru- oh, there's the, exp- there's the explanation. <laughs> there's the, the kind of parallel. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble at the temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. So Babylon's going to flow in like this mighty tsunami, just crushing everything to rubble as it washes in, and then it's going to wash back out again and sweep every treasure and every survivor out to sea, out to exile, out to Babylon, uh, back, back again. Jerusalem, in the meantime, will be leveled. Temple Hill made into a mound where the good harvest of godly people should have grown, but now weeds will spring up instead. And so Micah lays into these leaders because, first of all, their injustice is just eating people alive. He also lays into the priests and prophets. And you've heard the phrase, haven't you? Um, the only thing, what is it? The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Well, that's not what's happening here. That's not what's happening here. The clergy are not just kind of meekly standing by doing nothing. They are in this up to their necks, taking everything they can get and using their power to crush dissenting views. Um, So it's fitting perhaps that the the accusation against them comes not from Micah, but from God directly, uh, because it's God's name that they're using for their power. So verse 5, this is what the Lord says, as for the prophets who lead my people astray, if somebody feeds them, they proclaim peace. And if he doesn't, they prepare to wage war against him. So they are the profiteers and the enablers of all the wickedness in the nation. And anyone who who doesn't um, show the right support is attacked with all the power of the temple and the name of God himself. Uh, We think it's bad at the moment, you know, when um, 
You know, if you step out of line on Twitter and suddenly it's like, uh, there's all these replies and tweets flying about and everything's going viral. And then the newspapers are reporting it because they don't do any real journalism anymore. They just report what's happening on social media and the trends. They look down the trending list and try and make a headline. And suddenly, goodness, you stepped out of line. Boom, everything you've ever said has been a disaster. And that's what's happening here, only with all the power of the temple and God himself. And so the consequence for the priests and the prophets, verse 6 Night will come over you without visions, darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets. The day will go dark for them. In other words, they're not going to see or or get anything from from God. No no communication. Um, it's, It's a blackout. The seers will be ashamed. The diviners disgraced. They will all cover their faces because there's no answer from God. They've got nothing to say from him anymore. They've got a disaster will come on the nation and they've got they've got nothing. They've got no words. They've trampled all over God's name, God's place, God's generosity, God's blessing, his rule, his law, his history, his patience, his kindness, and God's not going to come to their rescue. Um, I mean, how much time should we set aside this morning to persuade you that the world today is saturated with injustice, Uh, that the world is uh, full of people whose uh, sin corrupts their use of power? Uh, so that we abuse our position for our own ends. Um, Even in our own communities, how often do we find that we're shut out of some opportunity because what truly counts is not what you know, but who you know. And some of that power is being used like that. You know, the in crowd, the inner circle, everyone else held at arm's length. And, And yet even in our own hearts, our sin corrupts our own use of power. We have some measure, all of us, of power or influence or some ability to get some of what we want. And what do we do with that? We are selfish. Uh, We serve ourselves, not all the time. And God's, you know, common grace restricts us. Uh, Grace like, you know, the loving environment of families. You know, God has got these common uh, graces which hold us back from being the worst that we could be. Uh, And of course, we hope and trust and expect that walking with Jesus is changing us. But by our nature, by our sinful nature, we are selfish and self-serving. Sin corrupts our use of power. Uh, And some people will take that and they reckon then that power is the problem. Uh, Should we just get rid of power? Should we just flatten, flatten everything and just get rid of power? Well, of course, we can't do that. Uh, there's, there, there, are, there are dynamics of influence in any relationship, and it's not the power that's the problem, but the abuse of power. It's a bit like, um, you know, like people misquote and say money is the root of all evil, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says love of money is the root of all evil, uh, or all kinds of evil, rather. Uh, and in the same way that power is not the problem, but abuse of power is the problem, the corruption of sin is the problem. So power is here to stay, but uh, I've lost the clicker, but you can put the second point up for me. Uh, God transforms our use of power. God transforms our use of power. So uh, what's the other phrase we all know? Uh, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So should we just get rid of power? Well, we can't do that. Power exists, any relationship, any organization, any society, uh, from the smallest to the largest, uh, there will be power, there will be dynamics, there will be influence. We all have wills, we have wants, we have desires, we have abilities. All of us have some, some power, and power is a good gift from God. 
uh, that it's crying out to be used in the right way. Uh, we don't often think like that in Ireland, do we? Uh, you know, in kind of Western society, Western thinking, that power and authority uh, and effectiveness and ability, these are good gifts from God, um, crying out to be used in the right way. Um, Some of the last words of King David before his death went like this. This is what David said. He said, "The, the God of Israel spoke, the rock of Israel said to me, when one rules over men in righteousness... When he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings the grass from the earth. So the godly use of power is like the sunlight that helps us to flourish and do each day's work, or like the sunlight that that draws the plants up from the soil for an abundant harvest. I think we've hit the time of the year, haven't we, where... You just get to the, it's a certain time of year when suddenly uh, you get a little dry spell, then you get some rain, and then the sun comes out and it's warmer than it's been before, and suddenly the grass is shooting up, the driveways are full of weeds, uh, there's just plants growing suddenly everywhere, and godly use of power and authority leads to this burst of flourishing uh, and, 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 uh, and prosperity. And that's, that, that's a word to our Western suspicion, isn't it? Uh, the authority, godly authority is good. It's good for us. It's God's gift. Of course, I'm not a king. You're not a king, I assume. Uh, what can we do? Well, Micah wasn't a king either, but God helped Micah uh, to use his power and the power he had for good in a way transformed by God. So verse 8 stands out, doesn't it? As for me, Micah says, I'm filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. So here is godly power. It's power that's concerned for justice, it's concerned for people, concerned for welfare. It's power that will expose injustice, expose failure, expose wrongdoing. It's power that seeks to, put, to serve others, even at personal cost. You could look back at verse 5, uh, and you, you know which camp Micah is falling into with these other prophets. He is not proclaiming peace to the prophets of the day. He's refusing to toe the line with them, refusing to pretend like he can't see what they're doing. Uh, and they will go to war with Micah for this. He's going to stick his head above the parapet, and they're going to let loose. They're going to fire at him uh, and, and see if they can shoot him. Um, but the proper use of power exposes falsehood, even in ourselves. It admits uh, wrong failures. It admits weakness. It confesses sin. It confronts wrong. It seeks the good of others. It doesn't serve me. It serves you. And it leads to flourishing, or at least it can. Uh, There's one author, uh, Stephen Um, uh, writes that sinful abuse of power is taking the influence that God has given you in this world uh, for the common good and using it against other people for personal gain. Sinful abuse of power is taking the influence God has given you for the common good and using it against others for personal gain. Uh, and if that's right, then the godly use of power is uh, using the influence and ability that he's given you and using it for the common good, for others, even at personal cost. 
not gain, but cost. I heard someone being interviewed about what kind of candidates make it through the selection process to become Navy SEALs or, you know, these elite soldiers. Uh, and he said, it's not the athletes who've been tested. Uh, it's not, it's not the, the sort of um, super young athletes who've never really been tested uh, at a deep level. They've just been sort of successful all the time, never really tested. And it's not the young leaders who are kind of trailblazing and delegating uh, and all of that. It's not the tough ones with the tattoos uh, all up the arm and neck and the chip on the shoulder because they need to prove themselves to be real tough people. The ones who endure and the ones who succeed are those who, when they are physically and mentally and emotionally exhausted, still find a way to dig deep enough into whatever energy they have left whatever strength they have left, to help the person next to them. The, the ones who succeed are those who serve others and help them to succeed as well, who put an arm under somebody else and bring them along. Those are the ones who succeed, the ones who use their power for the, the service of others. Um, what power do you have? What influence do you have uh, in your family, your workplace, your community, your church? Do you use your power, your ability uh, to serve others for their good, even when it costs you? Uh, do you have the kind of power that allows you to admit uh, failure and weakness, to confess and confront wrong, to seek the good of others, uh, to open the door to flourishing together? I, I couldn't even uh, begin to imagine an and survey and speak about all the spheres of influence we must have within this room today. Uh, I couldn't possibly begin to specify the different ways that you could use your influence uh, for good. That, that's, that's for you to do. It's only, it's only Sunday morning, was it nearly uh, uh, 10 to 12? You've got the whole of the rest of the day to think about where, where, am, where are my influences? Where can I uh, use my influence for the sake of others? God transforms our use of power. How could he transform your use of your power? And yet at the same time, uh, let's not leave ourselves with false hope and false impression that if we somehow, you know, turn over a new leaf or uh, group together and, and kind of all vote the same way and see some sort of political power that we could somehow make a utopia, a heaven on earth, uh, we can serve others for their flourishing. We can make a positive impact around us, but we don't have the power to remake the world. We don't have the power to, to change the world, to bring in heaven on earth, because we don't have the real power to change the human heart. Sin corrupts and it pollutes, and there is simply too much pollution in the world and in us as well. The poison of sin has penetrated this world too deeply for us to deal with it. If the world is to be changed... We need a much more powerful intervention. And I think Micah hints at it in chapter 4. So sin corrupts our use of power. God transforms our use of power. But it's Jesus' power uh, and his use of power that gives us true hope. Jesus' use of power gives us true hope. We can use our power to serve others, can't we? But we can't make heaven on earth. But God intervenes with his ultimate power in Jesus and he will transform things forever. Micah chapter 3, uh, if you see it, ends with Jerusalem in rubble, the temple hill overrun with weeds and thickets. And then suddenly the mood just lifts. <laughs> Micah 4 just turns everything on its head, just promises something much, much better. 
In verse 1, Temple Hill is replaced by the mountain of the Lord's, uh, the Lord's temple, the highest and greatest of all. You remember the high places in chapter 1, these places of idolatry? Well, suddenly there's a new high place, and it's the Lord's temple, the mountain of the Lord's temple, the highest and greatest, drawing the nations of the world to the Lord. In verse 2, God's word goes out, and the nations are drawn in. They are attracted. They're called. Verse 3, when those nations converge, those strong nations, that God himself will bring them together in justice and peace. Weapons of war will become tools of agriculture. Um, uh, in God's kingdom, peace and prosperity will reign. Verse 4, instead of land being stolen or sold off and people having their inheritance stripped away, now everyone has a place of peace and plenty. Every man will sit under his own vine and his own fig tree and no one will make them afraid for the Lord Almighty has spoken. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It's a beautiful picture, or rather, more accurately, it's a heavenly vision. Uh, in the last days, the Lord will change everything by ushering in his kingdom of justice, peace, and flourishing. And in verses 6 and 7, God himself will replace all the corrupt leaders as he himself rules over his kingdom. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will gather the exiles, and those I have brought to grief, I will make the lame a remnant, and those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. And, and again, like last week, there are different horizons on which these sorts of remarks are fulfilled. The people were exiled to Babylon. They were washed out in the, in the tsunami of Babylon. And they did return. They did rebuild Jerusalem and its temple. Now, remember when we read Haggai? Gosh, that's a long time ago. Couldn't even tell you. Was it 2018, 19 maybe? Uh, Haggai kind of came along and gave the people a, a, a kick to get them to, to get on and finish the temple. They'd kind of made a start and then stalled. And Haggai says, you know, um, uh, why should you be living in paneled houses when my house, uh, the Lord's house, is, is still half, uh, only half baked? So <clears throat> Israel kind of came back, and there's a bit of a fulfillment, but it's not the heaven of Micah 4, is it? Uh, there's another horizon, though. Jesus came in the flesh, the new temple, the new meeting place of God and humanity himself, fully God and fully man, uh, his mission to make God known and to make a way for us to come back to him, to come back from the exile of sin. So suddenly there's a, there's a new horizon. Mountains, of course, feature in Jesus' own story. There are quite a few mountains in, uh, in Micah 4. But it, uh, in Jesus' own story, he was revealed on a mountain in glory, transfigured and commended by the Father. Uh, he was crucified in agony on Mount Zion, uh, the, the hill of Jerusalem, paying the greatest price for what uh, Micah describes as our idolatry against God. Uh, we've been talking about power. Jesus' transfiguration showed the kind of power that he really had, and his crucifixion on the, on the other mountain is what Jesus chose to do with his power using it for others at the ultimate cost to himself. That is how Jesus uses power. He gave himself in love to save us from our sin and to draw us to himself to come and find peace and rest and community and prosperity. 
And so then the, the final horizon, if you like, of the heavenly vision of Micah 4 is heaven itself, a new creation, a whole new world where God rules in Christ, where we belong fully and finally to him uh, with every fiber of our being, where worship is true, where peace is forever, and we're flourishing just doesn't even begin to describe our experience. Jesus' use of power gives us true hope, hope for a better present and a perfect future. And so where we, uh, where we better finish uh, this morning is with the verse that we skipped, which is Micah 4 verse 5. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods. We will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So when we experience injustice ourselves, we can look to Jesus because he suffered the greatest injustice because of us and for us. He was rejected, oppressed, victimized, put to death. He was all-powerful, but he used his power to spend himself for our sake. We've benefited more than we yet understand from his self-giving use of power. In him we have life and hope and a future where injustice will be no more. And it means that we can also safely spend ourselves and our power to love and serve others. We don't have to, to, to grab and to gain. We can give and love and serve. We can confidently use whatever power we have in this or that part of our lives. The influences we have, we can use humbly as stewards of uh, good gifts from God, serving those around us, blessing them, pointing them to the same hope in Christ that we have. Sin corrupts our use of power, but God transforms our use of power, and he does that through Jesus, through Jesus' use of his ultimate power to serve us in self-giving love. Uh, that's what gives us true hope, hope for a better today and certain hope for a perfect future. So we look to him today. We're going to look to him again in a moment around the table. But let's pray first. Uh, let's pray, and then we will share around the table. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, this is not a gathering of, um, of particularly powerful people. Uh, we know that. We are not, we're not great minds. We're not world leaders. We're not wealthy benefactors. But we do have some power. We do have some influence, perhaps in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities, among our friends. We have the choice whether to use our influence, uh, the, the power that you've given us uh, for ourselves at the expense of others or for others at the expense of ourselves. And so we confess that today that sin corrupts our choices in these things, corrupts our habits, corrupts our relationships. It makes us uh, selfish and power hungry and self-serving. And so we thank you for Jesus who had all power but who used his power for us at the ultimate cost to himself. Thank you that because of him, we have life and hope and a future. Thank you that one day we will be with Jesus in his kingdom where there will be no injustice, no oppression, no corruption, no self-interest, no rat race, but just perfect peace and flourishing. Father, help us to, uh, to think about this, this slightly abstract idea today. Help us to dwell on it, to soak it in, to let it change us to let it change how we live today as those who walk in the name of our God, in the name of Jesus. Help us to imitate him and help us to point others to him, our servant king, asking in his name. Amen.